Welcome back, folks, to episode 49 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in health psychology, licensed professional counselor and an adjunct professor at a local community college. What we're going to be discussing on this podcast is what I will affectionately call absolute value of self. And the reason I want to use that title is that uh, we're ending 2023 here very soon. And uh, this is now midnight, almost one o'clock rather. And we are officially the 30th, but still it's the 29th for me overnight. And um, I'm wanting to touch upon a couple of things that has to do with how we look at things moving through a life when we're developing and growing. And in the process of what um, Maslow, Abraham Maslow, uh, called becoming ourself. And also, I liked whenever his quote stated, um, we must become who we must become. And that is our internal driver, in a sense. And it's always kind of spoken to me. And I hearken back to whenever I was a younger man and in pursuit of becoming the person I would become. And looking back, as if I'm looking through time, and I see who I was whenever I'd left the military. And when I look at where I am today, I realize that much of what I used to do was a deep search for knowledge. I wasn't someone that pursued drinking or drugs or anything like that. And I wanted to know more. I wanted to know about being connected to the bigger source and why I was here. So I was asking some pretty big questions. But in the process of that, um, I wound up getting married and having a family, three sons, no less, and now a grandbaby who is amazing. And getting to a point where I'm not only a professional in the mental health field, but also I've been a martial artist for well over 38 years and a researcher in that area, a meditator, and also uh, someone that has worked as um, in a private sense, a healer, um, in the energetic sense, I don't share that too often, but the reason I'm mentioning it is that much of what I've done, all of what I've done has been an extension of my path in martial arts and the courage that I encountered is a result of the process of pursuing martial art and learning how to face not only challenges, but overcome them. Even dealing with the challenges that arise within ourselves, having to do with belief and confidence in oneself to be able to do or not to do, or to determine whether or not we should engage in an activity. And little did I know, looking back, that much of my desire to want to become a martial artist, for instance, and to be very skilled, um, was forward thinking. I had an idea as to what I would like to accomplish, and I definitely had what I would call role models in the martial art. And also those kind of guided me because the heroes or my role models that I researched and found to be people that had skills I'd like to emulate were also very ethical and moral in their way. And uh, they also provided guideline to actually temper what it was that I was trying to develop in a physical skill to be able to protect myself against the reality of physical threat. And from that point, 
I realized that there was a very large psychological component to what it was that I was pursuing in the martial art, as well as one of physiology, how to heal the body and how to keep the body healthy due to training. So it was a very broad discipline that also brought me to the point of spirituality, wherever I was learning not only how to meditate, but also how to connect and heal self and protect self. So it was a very well-rounded process and one that I pursued often alone. And uh, for many years, um, I always had to seek people to train with because most people didn't want to involve themselves or invest themselves in that sort of thing. So often it would take me into the realms of training with people that like to fight just so that I could have somebody with whom to train, even if they wanted to uh, think that they could draw techniques or methods to become better fighters. Often it was an opportunity to train with somebody that was seasoned and also to test what I had learned. And I was always very pleased with the method that I learned because it was very effective. But beyond that, it actually served me that perspective of wanting to become better and do more and become more in my life with myself where I was of greater service. Um, most of the heroes that I had that were martial artists. One was uh, R.Q.A. Wong from San Francisco that he'd emigrated from China. And he was uh, one of the first, if not the first, on the West Coast of our United States. And generally speaking, in the United States, to teach uh, across the racial barrier where he taught Kung Fu to the non-Chinese folks. And that is something that he struck out with and knew that his art would continue because uh, in the United States, there was a great deal of interest, and often uh, he would be pursued by many people that have actually gotten into uh, entertainment industry and whatnot, and he wound up gaining a great deal of fame for his uh, beloved martial art, the five animals and five family systems. But not only that, he was a healer. He was an herbalist, an acupuncturist. So he not only served in the capacity of a martial arts teacher and one that taught Wu Te, which would be translated as martial virtue. And that is one of a protector, like a knight, one that would serve the community. But also he was a healer and he was well renowned for his uh, herbs and healing as much as he was his martial art. But the reason I mention that is that he, in the 1920s, arrived uh, in San Francisco and started developing and teaching and serving and eventually opened the services of his uh, com to his community, but also to other people that were of non-Chinese origin and made a huge statement that many people weren't very happy with for a long time. But uh, I, myself, as a result of his opening uh, the doors in that sense have been impacted in a very uh, direct sense over time because of the people that he did allow to learn that were not of Chinese origin. So that is something I'm greatly appreciative of. He's one of the numbers of heroes that uh, I emulated my practice after. So moving forward, so what is it that I am talking about when I say absolute value of self? Now, my opinion and this is my personal opinion based on my training and also uh, what I've seen is that our absolute value of self isn't always perfectly realized um, in our efforts going through a life trying to accomplish and become. 
Now, the absolute value of self whenever mom delivers baby and mom and dad are raising baby is recognized whenever we care for and bring a life into this world and try to raise them to become the best person that they can become and provide them the opportunity to be reared and raised in a nurturing environment. And whenever we love someone, we are recognizing that absolute value of the individual until they reach the teen years and <laughs> become a little rebellious. And I'm just joking there. But um, that is the closest that I, in my estimation, think that we come to recognizing the absolute value of an individual outside of ourself. So what about recognizing the absolute value of myself, me, myself, and Armando, the individual that is speaking here, and you yourself listening to this podcast? Well, often it is in the process of becoming that we recognize how much more we're able to do. Now, I do not think the absolute value of self has to do with what we can do and strictly the acts that we are able to actuate outside of ourselves, whether it be in service, whether it be good, bad, or whatever. But Society will measure our value based on what it sees on the outside, what we demonstrate. So this is closely tied to our social self, the absolute value of our social self and what we may develop and evolve our ego from. But our absolute value of self, who it is that I am, that I'm to become or that I have become over time. Often the recognition of that self-value comes from the things that we have to do called making choices. And these choices often are the things that are like bargains of sorts that we make whenever we're pursuing what we would call a worthy goal. Carlos Castaneda, uh, in his books, uh, wrote about Don Juan saying that you have to find a path with heart. And often that path that is the path with heart for us is something that even though I may not know the details or know exactly what the steps are going to be between here and there, it definitely does resonate with the idea of beginning with the end in mind. So what is that end? I didn't know how I was going to get to the end, for instance, in my case, but I knew I wanted to have a level of skill, capacity, and understanding in the martial art that would take me to where I wanted to go or to become that sense of individual that I wanted to become. And I didn't have a distinct, clear picture of it, but I just knew that it kind of looked like what my heroes did, what my mentors did, what my role models did, and what they looked like and how they demonstrated. Maybe not their individual character and walk in the way they walked or talk the way they talked, but rather the intrinsic sense that I was getting from them that I wanted for myself. Now, there are some bargains that we make along the way. Sometimes we have to choose, for instance, work-wise, things that may be interesting, but may not be well paid. Uh, also, it may be because you enjoy it and you really want to learn more from it. And sometimes we may work at something that is not going to bring us as much fiduciary benefit, uh, but will give us a greater degree of satisfaction and like as far as what it is that we're doing. Sometimes we may have to take a job that is farther away than what we'd like and may have to commute. And the trade-off may be, well, even though I have to commute for an hour back and forth, that's two hours in a day, the pay is worthwhile. And you may be able to catch up in some other areas. Sometimes living in a smaller home and having less, not necessarily not having your needs met, but rather realizing that maybe we don't need so much. We don't always have to be trying to live large and have more 
and be able to have so much that I don't know what to do with it. And maybe just be able to live, not unlike Mary Kondo talks about in her books on getting rid of clutter, only using those things that we use and noting that sometimes we hold on to things that may get no use, but we have an attachment to them. And that can be an ego attachment, could be a safety security, could also be something along the lines of something I I feel sentimental about. And sentimentality isn't a bad thing, but my question is, can it hold us back? And maybe at times it does, even though uh, things are what I'm pointing at right now. We're actually shifting gears a little bit and moving towards, well, what other things do we let go of in the process of becoming who it is I'm supposed to become, who it is I'm supposed to be, or that goal that I want to be as far as my having a goal for myself, an arrival point of sorts. Some of the things that we let go are relationships. And this can be painful at times. And that sentimentality I mentioned earlier isn't always just for things, but maybe even our hearkening back to whenever the good times were occurring, when we had maybe more fun when we were younger, when we used to do things, remember, and trying to recapture that. And there's nothing wrong with looking at those things and using that as a resource to remember that, hey, we, we can feel that good. We have experienced neat things. And using that as fuel to move forward into possible new directions that may bring equal adventure and fun and enjoyment moving forward. But sometimes we get stuck, so stuck that we try to relive things and redo things whenever they're bygone and no longer available. And sometimes we we hurt because of that loss, like when we lose a loved one, a family member, and knowing that we may never go fishing with dad again or may never see mom again when she's cooking in the kitchen whenever I was a kiddo and having those senses and, and smells going on that are warm, comforting reminders of whenever we were there that are pleasant to recall, but sometimes bittersweet in the sense that we know it probably is not going to happen again. And in this sense, often when we're developing, there are times that we have relationships that we have to let go. There's an old term about not holding on to relationships too tightly, not grasping so tightly that you suffocate another. And I do believe in the principle of loving in a way that the other person that you're loving feels free. Free to choose, free to come, free to go. Kind of like herding cats. You can't herd a cat like you can a cattle or cattle in plural. Uh, but when we try to do that, we can't do that because they are so free spirit and free thinking. They will come to you when they're ready. So when we love, we love in a sense that the other person that is being loved feels free. And I agree with that. I think that is one of the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh, and I really appreciate his writings. But this has a lot to do with letting go. Sometimes being willing to let go is not necessarily pushing people away. But if the other person doesn't know what's happening, and maybe they're sentimental, we might wind up hurting somebody not intending to. And that may not be the goal, but sometimes, and this was my experience, that I've had friends that no longer are, and I go back and visit with them, or they've come back to visit with me, and things have changed because we've evolved, we've grown. And it's nice and pleasant, but it's no longer what it was. But we've also grown out of those uh, ideas of what we used to call friendship. And those friendships at those times may have served their purpose. 
I remember often passing time whenever I was training martial art and I literally could find nobody to train with and it would drive me a bit mad because I needed somebody to practice my skills with. So I would continue doing my solo training and developing skill deepening that way, but also praying that God send me somebody, please, to come train with me because I was at my wit's end and I would never quit. But I remember having the thought of, if I don't have somebody to train, I'm going to quit because this is no longer useful if I can't train and find out whether or not this methodology works. I needed to test it. And essentially, at some point, my prayers were answered and people would come. They'd bring information that otherwise I wouldn't have access to that was only available on the East Coast, the West Coast, this sort of thing, or overseas that because I had a family and I was working a retail job to make sure that I made a living and going to school, that I wasn't particularly mobile. I couldn't go on vacation. I couldn't travel. But essentially, the world came to me. And that was very useful to me. But at the same time, during that time I was growing, I was also evolving. And even though I was very local to my area, people came and went through my life. Some people came and they stayed for a time and they left, but I was able to garner benefit from that. So I really appreciated and embodied being good to that relationship and and honorable to those friends. But at the same time, there were times wherever people uh, in my life no longer served and I had to learn to let go of them and not get stuck in the sentimentality. And I remember a friend that I used to have growing up with, that was my best friend. But after military, we had grown, we had seen different things, and we we're no longer as compatible as friends in our interest, in our practices, this sort of thing. And that was a bit shocking. It wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be, but I also knew that I couldn't have that in my life near my children because that would be disastrous. And I didn't owe him that, but I did owe my protection uh, to my children and also keeping elements that uh, were a little less unsavory um, away from them because I didn't want those influences about them. And um, I took care of that. And I'm okay with that. And I've let him go peacefully and in love, but uh, also knowing that uh, we have to grow out of things sometimes. So that was a realization for me as well. So in the process of becoming who we become, sometimes we will leave people behind in the past memory, but we're not truly leaving them behind. And they're stuck there somehow lost in time. It's not like that. They're living their lives too. And when we realize that they're living their lives as well, that it becomes a little less painful that way because we're all moving along this timeline, moving forward. And we don't truly leave people behind. We just no longer walk in parallel with them. And once we realize that, we free ourselves to become who we're supposed to become with less drag, with less guilt, with less shame, and with less of that sense of I did something wrong when in actuality I was just being truest to myself and allowing myself to become who I'm supposed to become in this life. So very important stuff. So the absolute value of myself, how do I achieve that? How do I accomplish that? I don't know. Haven't gotten there yet. Am I getting and becoming more? Yes by the process of choosing to be productive, to be of service and in service of others, and also by choosing to love every day, even when it's hard, not necessarily in a sense of I feel obligated, but rather I choose to love by default every day because that is my practice. I practice a compassion practice every day, and uh, 
I choose to see all of those people that I see as they are and accept them as they are. And by not judging them, but rather just being openly accepting them, I have released much of the extra energy that I would waste in developing hangups about people and things and what I thought about them or what they thought about me. And I just experienced life. And that is much, much more freeing than trying to be judgmental and protective and afraid. Sometimes moving forward in courage requires that we have the courage to let go of those people and relationships and things that no longer serve us. And that is not a negative thing. That is just a realization that we can't be attached to things too much, too often, because those things will slow us down and limit our progress, and we may miss opportunities as a result. So this is just my encouragement to you, that if you're developing yourself and becoming more, and seeking and searching and becoming is a process. It's also work, requires energy, requires courage, requires your efforts, your tears, and your emotions, and all of your being. This is me just saying, stay in courage. Don't get discouraged. Choose to pursue those things that will best benefit you. And know that you'll have people that will walk with you some of the way, most of the way, and some only for a small bit of time, and that's okay. But that's part of what our life is supposed to be, and that's wide and varied in some cases and one that also provides depth for us and that we have depth of understanding of who our individual self is and how we are valuable, not only to the people around us, but in the process. And who knows, maybe you'll become that person that helps someone else along the way and help them start seeking as well. And I certainly appreciate your time. And early in the morning, Saturday morning, (laughs) late Friday night, if you will, And last Saturday of 2023, thank you for your time. It's been a blessing. Just letting you know, please like, follow, and share. And share this podcast with folks that you think could benefit from uh, the message. But also want to let you know that uh, we are now on YouTube as well. So seek us out there. The podcast is in audio on YouTube. We plan to be doing video here in the future as well. Those are some current corners we're going to be turning in the future. But please... Keep an eye out, keep listening, and thank you again. Walk well.